This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello movie truthers, welcome to Truth and Movies, a little white lies podcast and this time we're coming to you direct from the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, today's going to be a little bit different to the usual run of things because uh, we've managed to get up out of the country and head over to the south of France to enjoy a whole load of movies that are screening as part of the 2023 Cannes Film Festival and so I've assembled a set of cinephile avengers to uh, come together and tell us all about some favorites what we're going to do is a little bit of a kind of round robin speak where we're going to go round we're going to each pick two favorites that we've seen at the festival or, or at least two films of of notable interest that are worthy of discussion to give you some context we're recording this on the second tuesday of the festival which is a, a whole week into it so we've seen a fair amount at this at this point it's 10 o'clock in the morning. We had a late night last night. We had a lovely a lovely meal together. And then we came home and did some did some work. And then we're up and we're going to record this and probably head out and go and see some more movies today. So the sun is shining, I, I believe. We can't tell. It's uh, a shuttered room. It's a shuttered room. So, yeah, we can't tell what the weather <laughs> I, I is like. I shouldn't have taped all that cardboard over the windows. That's on me. Okay. <laughs> and um, any background noise you may hear. Uh, could it could be our lovely uh, flatmate Mark Ash who is getting ready for, uh, to for his day out, so, Mister Mr. Seafood Plateau? Indeed. So I'm going to go completely arbitrary by this list I've made, and it seems like a good one to start with. So Charles, do, do you want to kick things off um, and talk about your first choice? Yes, absolutely. We should open with an opener. Uh, the first film I'd like to discuss was the opening selection for the director's Fortnite sidebar uh, selection. You walk on down the beach to their theater, and I went to go see a French courtroom drama called The Goldman Case, uh, which this is actually rooted in historical fact, that in the 70s, this uh, sort of far-left activist, rather cantankerous man named Goldman, was arrested for having robbed, uh, done done two robberies, and then also uh, two murders. And he copped to the robberies, but contested having committed the murders. And so this is the substance of his trial. He, a deeply irate man, is brought before a court 
to answer for himself. And he essentially, you know, as as we like to say in the States, I'm putting the system on trial. This is a one of those sort of courts movies in which he not only refutes the charges levied against him, but he sort of takes issue with the whole construct of the French judicial system uh, to begin with, which he finds based on very bourgeois and, and flawed cultural assumptions about the trustworthiness of the police, about the objectivity of the judge. And so he, in many respects, almost refuses to engage with the process, you know, to the great protest of the lawyers who are just trying to help him. And um, yeah, it's it. he makes a very impassioned political argument for his own innocence. Uh, he asserts the racism of French police. It's a, it's a real firecracker of a movie. And is there any order in that court, Charles? Well, so this is my favorite thing. And, and I was told by a French person that this is perhaps uh, more cinematic and not necessarily how it works. But there just appear to be no rules in French court whatsoever. Uh, I watch a lot of Law and Order, obviously. And, you know, the the way these court scenes go is if someone says something outrageous, you get to object. You say, I object, uh, harassing the witness or, you know, any number of objections. And in French court, that just doesn't happen. People yell things and no one does anything. And it seems like the most punitive thing the judge can do is not to hold someone in contempt of court and throw them into a cell, but just to be like, you there stop doing that. Um, So yeah, it makes for very lively, very tense courtroom scenes with um, lots of Lots of fussing and fighting. There's hullabaloo. There is a great There's deal. There's such a hullabaloo. Hullabaloo, rigmarole, falderall, et al. So give us a bit of context as to where, where this film played in the festival. And do you, do you think that people will get to see it soon? My hope is yes. Um, I do believe... Has it been acquired? I guess I'm not sure. Uh, but yes, so the way can works is that they have the big marquee titles in the competition section. And then the sort of second tier official selection is called Un Certain Regard. And this uh, sidebar program, which is called the Director's Fortnight, the Quincen des uh, Cineastes now, it used to be Royalisateurs, but that's a gender term, and they thought, why why bother? Um, and so, yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, collection of, of films this year. A lot of them are first films, but I guess the idea is it's just things a bit off the beaten path that are not, you know, so big name that they make it to the to the big dance of competition. In 2019, they showed Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse there, which I suppose, you know, indie American director sort of fits within that purview. Um, and so, yes, this film, you know, while it is not a huge production, I think it has been well-reviewed enough that we should expect to see it in theaters soon enough. People seem to like it, and courtroom dramas, they sell, because people know what to expect, and the pleasures are pretty consistent. Sophie. Yes. I, I see. I see from our, our little hastily by road list here in front of me that you are going to be taking on a biggie as your first choice. Yes. M- maybe give it a bit of context as to as to the film first, and then dive in. Sure. Okay. Well, I'll also just give a bit of context for why a Jonathan Glazer film is something that I anticipate so much. You know, we the last we saw from him was Under the Skin, which was more or less ten years ago. And I have loved every single one of his films. That makes it sound like they're more of them than they are. have done all four of them. Yes. Well, three thus far. So even without knowing anything about the the subject, I was like, a Jonathan Glazer film is playing in Cannes. This is instantly my most anticipated film at the festival. And I kind of knew the logline more or less. And I knew that it was based on a Martin Amos book, R.O.P. But that the, like... With he did with Under the Skin, he very much interpreted it and made it his own. Like, this is stuff I knew g- going in, just that it was like very, very loose adaptation. Not that I've even read the Martin Amos book, 
so yeah, and absolutely nothing could have prepared me. It's deadly departed, Martin. Yeah, I did. I did swiftly say ROP, but maybe I should have made more of that. <laughs> but um, I also like to give a bit of context of like you know, much like Pauline Cow, just a little a little bit of personal context because I think it kind of br- brings things to life a little bit. Like uh, I I saw this with you, David, and I think you and I when we walked out, we just we were both just like staring into the middle distance, walking in silence. And then you said, I think this is the most disturbing film I've ever seen. And then I said, uh, yes, I agree. <laughs> and I, at some point, shed two single tears. But it, I, I, while I was watching it, I didn't... It, I was just it was just like watching it and watching it and watching it. And then it ends. And, and the way that it ends, it's not even 100% clear that it's ended. It could just be a coda because this, the technique, the interplay of sound and a totally blank screen, we've seen it before in the film. So it's based on the historical fact that next to Auschwitz lived Rudolf Hoss and his family and this is a very forensically told tale and shot in a way in a very eerie way that I think you can actually feel Jonathan Glazer has said he you know he didn't want to shoot this like looking at the Hoss family being like oh you know maybe a bit more light you know like kind of fussing over aesthetic details he had a totally empty set and just hired these drone cameras and had cameras set up Uh, actually I don't know if they're drone cameras but there were cameras on set that were just filming the family as they went about their day so there is this quite eerie alien feeling uh, but the, the, the what we're watching is, is is not you know historical villains rubbing their fingers and and chuckling it's the most sort of you could say mundane minutely observed details of just running a household and that makes it all the more haunting when you sort of hear little details dropped in or like you see that the dress that Mrs. Hoss is choosing, Hedvig is choosing, it must have come from the camps. Like, there'll be all these little references that to this family are just a stop of life that they do not blink twice over, that is just the most awful stop imaginable. And there's also the the sounds. Occasionally you will hear screams. And the other thing is, there's this scene where Rudolf Hoff explains in detail that the, the layout of, of the chambers and how they work and he doesn't reference what's happening in any detail I think he, t- he talks about units or something and you know what he's talking about but no one in that scene blinks an eye but he he explained what well, one thing that he explains is how frequently there will need to be fires burning and then every now and then you'll see like a puff of smoke from the chimney and you'll know what that symbolizes so it's the most understated and forensic depiction of horror and the thing that I found very moving about the film in the end is that it's saying that the stuff that went on on the other side of the world is, is, is too sacred to show. And there are ways that I have not articulated and I won't articulate that he also represents the horror of what's happening. But it's very, very conceptual and very, very like visceral because there's a combination here of different modes of storytelling. There's this focus on this family that's quite forensic and detailed and, you know, the banality of evil incarnate. But then there are these moments where it totally switches gear and I like, I could just feel things in my body happening and I didn't even know what they were, but it was like a true, a true immersive experience. And the, the way these elements of it come together, I think in the end is like, really really hard to fully grasp and and articulate but it feels just very profound and also like he's created original cinematic language and told a story that I think a lot of 
a lot of filmmakers or even storytellers in any medium will be like, okay, this is it. It's time. It's time for me to tackle the Holocaust. But this doesn't feel like he's him taking a box. This feels like him really, really grappling deeply with something that has been weighing on him. And like the other thing I think to say is that it's been kind of 10 years in the making. And a lot of the stuff comes from research, the, the, all, the, all the phone calls that we see us having, the, the layout of the camps, it's, it, is, it is from historical uh, record. And the, the way that this all came to be is that he was reading The Zone of Interest by Martin Amis. To my name is everyone, gone but not forgotten. <laughs> and Martin Amis' book, The Zone of Interest, is, is like a fictionalised version of Hoss. But Glazer started re- researching the real Hoss and found it more interesting. So, yeah, it's like tons and tons and tons of research. And what we watch in the film is the tip of the iceberg married to the most extraordinary level of thought and craft. And it just leaves you feeling ways that you don't understand. But then like hours later, like a scene will come before your eyes and you'll be like nailed to the back of your chair. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's also got this the surreal aspect of this situation is also it, you, you use it in a way with these little kind of ambient inserts as well. That, that there is stuff that he sort of drops in there that kind of experimental almost that you're sort of left to to ponder. Yeah, as well. Yeah, there. I, I all the way through it. I there was stuff I was trying to figure out, but I was also totally pulled along by it because it's such assured and precise filmmaking, even though it's operating at a level that's quite conceptual. Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member and receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to our Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Hannah, would you like to give us your choice? Yeah, I have chosen May, December, which is a new film from Todd Haynes, which is one of my most anticipated of the festival. I love Todd. (laughs) Speaking like he's a close personal friend, I think he would be fine with that. And I was very excited when this was announced because it is a film with Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore, who, again, two actresses I love. And I thought that the kind of logline was very intriguing, which the premise for this is that Natalie Portman is playing an actress who rocks up at Julianne Moore's house with the intention of kind of shadowing her um, because she's going to play her in a movie. And the thing about Julianne Moore's character in this film is that she was involved in a highly publicised scandal um, some 20 years earlier where she had an affair with a 13-year-old boy and went to prison and... Um, now, 20 years later, they're still married. They have three children. And yeah, it's a very kind of naughty melodrama that five minutes in has this incredible crash zoom moment, which really sets the tone, I think, for the film where y- you're just kind of disarmed by how funny the script is and how they bring all this kind of levity to what is actually a kind of very troubling and dark subject. But at the same time, it's not like Haynes and Sammy Birch who wrote the script are kind of trivialising it. There's a lot of kind of weight to the characters and the actions. And, you know, the, the more time we spend with them, the more we kind of get to know these characters, particularly Julianne Moore and Charles Melton, who plays Joe, who is the her husband. And, yeah, I was just really kind of 
impressed at how easily the film blends this kind of very dark humour and deeply sad character content. There's some scenes in it where you're just cut your heart is just breaking for this poor guy who spent his whole life thinking that he's in this like deeply romantic relationship and then starts to process kind of what happened to him when he was a teenager and yeah I just think it's um, such an elegant film that I'm still days later like chuckling to myself thinking of some of the line readings and some of the script and this is a first time script as well from Sammy Birch who I believe was a casting director um, in a previous life and to come out with such like an assured and intelligent script and kind of your first go is just like mind-blowing to me I yeah such an impressive film and is it do would you say typical of Todd Haynes um, I think it's definitely funnier than uh, his films, like I, like out ex- more explicitly funny. I think he does make funny films, but um, this is definitely more of a kind of comedy than um, he would typically make. But the melodrama, I think, is also kind of a new direction for him. You can definitely kind of see like the um, DNA in something like a little Vel- far from heaven. Right? Yeah, it's a little far from heaven. There's kind of I think hints of like Velvet Goldmine and. Um, even a little bit of Carol in there, I think, as well. But it's definitely more kind of like, I feel like he's um, bringing in kind of like soap opera references, a little bit of kind of Real Housewives. And my my kind of first instant reaction was a bit of uh, Pedro Almodovar in the kind of like very uh, highly strung characters expressing their emotions. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, just the whole thing is just such a delight. Like there's incredible costume design as well. And these kind of like nap dresses that Julianne Moore's character is wearing. And she's really like cosplaying as this who me I would never harm a fly type uh, housewife and clearly just having such a a great time playing this character I don't think I've seen a film here where the actors seem to be enjoying themselves as much as they were in this film and there's just so many wonderful little details like you spend more time with the Portman character and realise like oh she's actually like meant to be a bad actress like this is you know she's not playing like an a-lister she's playing a tv actress who's trying to be taken seriously um and yeah there's just so many kind of little moments and little asides there's a wonderful scene which i won't spoil because this will be coming out um i'm pretty certain everywhere but definitely in the uk it's already got distribution um there's a wonderful scene on the roof involving um the character joe and his 18 year old son and they have a quote air quote bonding moment together (laughs) but yeah I I just think it's such a kind of knotty intriguing film and uh, yeah really delightful I'm I'm kind of hoping that one's the palm because I think it would be I think it would be the, the most fun choice Amazing. Right, we're going to go on next to, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the film with the, I don't think, great title of About Dry Grasses. Wasn't there some sort of conversation about whether or not that might have been mistranslated? Yeah, I mean, in in the film, the character refers to just one type of grass. You know, Audiences are going to be very disappointed uh, they're, 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 expecting multiple grass. The grass community in, will demand a refund. Grass heads. Well, this, this would be, um, this is the new film from the Turkish auteur, very serious man, Nuri Bilge Jelan, and he won the Palme d'Or in, I think it's 2014 for um, Winter Sleep. He had another film in 2018 called The Wild Pear Tree, and both these films were three-hour-plus meditations on kind of male misanthropes and very, very sort of dialogue-driven. He's very very openly uh, talked about his influences, which were Chekhov and Dostoevsky, and he's kind of, he's spoken about how 
he was being more inspired by literature than he was by film when it came to making these films. And you can kind of tell that, you know, these films had like phone book sized scripts to them and he seems to have filmed the whole things. And about Dry Grasses is kind of like, I would say like it, it plays like the, the final part of a trilogy, maybe. If, there, may, there may be more, who knows? But it's, it's another film about a male misanthrope, this time a teacher in a small Anatolian village. Initially, he, I guess, sort of has a feel, this feeling of intellectual superiority. But at the same time, there is a sense that he is a good teacher and is trying to sort of impart his wisdom onto his children. There is an incident where one of his favourite students makes a complaint about him for this, for, for, for this very small trifling matter, which apparently meant a lot to the girl, but he didn't realise how much. And... He is instantly put into the crosshairs and the local school board bureaucracy are, are drawing him in for meetings and asking him questions. And uh, and there is a kind of guilty till proven innocent uh, vibe to the whole thing and of people not wanting to ruffle feathers or get into trouble. And, and he, he feels very hard done by by this. And this is all within about the first hour of, of a three and a half hour film. And uh, you kind of think that it's going to be this thing on cancel culture and and like people being kind of, uh, put put in this place for you know and and chided for these reasons that they that they maybe don't understand but then it kind of goes off in a very different direction and it it, it turns into a kind of almost a sort of psych like romantic psychodrama where him and his his roommate both fall for the same woman and the centerpiece of this film is this probably about 45 minute long dialogue sequence over over a dinner table that covers all matters existential in a very, very kind of poetic and beautiful written way. And yeah, it's just on paper, it seems like not the most fun movie you're ever, ever going to see, but it is something that is completely immersive and compelling. And you, you're just swept up by the richness of the dialogue and the characters. And and it just, it's this really, he, he just sort of whisks up this really convincing microcosm that feels like, although that the characters are, 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 are articulating very, very complex ideas and emotions, it, he, he's written it in a way that makes them like hit the, the viewer. Um, and yeah, it was. I'm, I'm a fan of his and I love this one. One thing I'm curious about, I have not yet had the chance to see the film, um, and you talk about you know his literary influences and the script. What sort of visual uh, vocabulary is he working? Is with that one? Well, well, um, he's he, he's filming on quite sort of abrasive digital, mm-hmm. um, and it can switches between very sort of what um, big uh, wide vistas of the landscape. It's snowing the whole. It's, it's set during winter. And it's very deep snow that like pretty much the entire film, and then these very cozy candlelit interiors very low light it's it's not it's unfussy i would say i i don't think he's like the visuals the 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 dialogue is you know capturing the people talking and getting the the best out of the dialogue is probably his key concern here snow is a good link to the film that charles is next later to discuss that's a snowy film it is indeed well let's get on to your second film then charles I was uh, interested in comparing and contrasting two courtroom films that I have seen and quite enjoyed. The second being Justine Trier's competition title, Anatomy of a Fall, which I think it, it is much more loyal to the law and order model uh, than the Goldman case, which is really all right there in the courtroom. <clears throat> Whereas this is, I think, much more of a character piece. It is also about someone who makes it 
difficult to sympathize with them. I think the audience is sort of placed in the role of the jury and made to look at this person and consider the things that we find dislikable about them. Uh, it stars Sandra Huller, who is also the uh, star of Zone of Interest that Dear SMK spoke about. Mm-hmm. She is a novelist who is doing an interview uh, one afternoon. Her son is off playing elsewhere in the house. And all of a sudden, her husband's body falls from the uppermost floor of their home and hits a small shed next to their home. And he, by the time he hits the ground, has has perished. And so uh, Sandra Huller, who is, you know, overwrought with grief, is nevertheless brought into court because, you know, Occam's razor would suggest that when a spouse dies, it is always the other spouse who has died. It. And so with the help of a friend of hers, a lawyer, she tries to prove her own innocence while refusing to sugarcoat the nature of her relationship with her husband, which was often very contentious. He was a frustrated writer who resented her success. And in court, all of these brutal details about the interiors of their relationship start to bubble to the surface and cast her in a rather guilty looking light. And she makes the very salient, very correct point that no matter you know, regardless of whether or not they were at each other's throats, regardless of whether or not they detested each other, it is about what is demonstrably provable. And uh, even, you know, it's not illegal to argue with your spouse. And she maintains that she maintains her innocence, even as she reveals just how deeply dysfunctional their relationship was. And we also see the effect that this has on her very young son, who's a tremendous young actor, whose name I should have looked up before I began speaking. Uh, But he gives a really terrific performance. Uh, There's a scene late in the movie where everything just comes pouring out of this kid. It's uh, really something to see. Also, please pay some verbal respect to Snoop the dog. Snoop the dog, an essential part of this film, really one of the top dogs at the <laughs> festival. He uh, goes through it in this movie as well. That he dog's goes suffering. through a lot. He, he <laughs> has a medical crisis that is resolved with, with a, a merciful swiftness, and uh, he ultimately becomes sort of a, he helps crack the case, doesn't he? He, he does. Lassie, stand aside. <laughs> yeah, sorry Lassie. Lassie found dead mid So I saw that film yesterday, and I also saw another film later called Club Zero by Jessica Hausner, which we're not covering on this pod, but we'll we'll be able to read our review online. But both films contain scenes of dogs eating vomit. Dogs, they love it. It's like caviar to yeah. them. They can't get enough. It's, it's, it's something, something I've learned. It's about. unpredictably flavorful. You never know what you're getting from it. Horrible image. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Charles. Sophie, next up, you have a, a, a more comic selection. I, I do. I needed to pick something that was different to the zone of interest in, in scope and timbre. But to link with what we've just been chatting has a great dog in as well so yes so this is a film by the beloved Finn Aki Kurismaki who won a lot of hearts and mind with the other side of hope his compassionate take on the refugee crisis and as I understand that the man goes around making compassionate takes that are also incredibly funny in a deadpan and cinematic fashion and this slots right in and it's also it has a very neat narrative container which is that these these two people they find each other and then it's near impossible to connect like he gives it's very very funny so so these two characters just to set set them up a little bit so she when we meet her is what like working in a supermarket and he when we meet him is oh god he goes through so many jobs so i, I guess he is What's he, James? What's his well, first job? Well, I, I, I was actually trying to work out myself. He's like a metal worker, I think. Um, or, or like a yeah, that's it. That's it. it. It's quite. It's a skilled job, but he's also 
are alcoholic and whatever time of the day it is the moment the boss's head is turned he'll be sucking from his hip flask which, which doesn't really work that well for him but these two they they, they have a, a, a run-in they meet each other but don't talk a, a karaoke night and his mate is performing he, his mate is very funny as well and earns the epithet the karaoke king and they see each other and then they see each other again and they have a date cinema and that's important because this is like a very very cine literate in an affectionate way film like there's a film that they go to see together and just there's a punchline around it in terms of like a single serving character coming out and comparing it to uh i'm not going to name the names of the films but it's just there are lots of these these wonderful little details in there anyway so she gives him her number he like instantly loses it and it's just like lots of things get in the way like this but they i don't know there's just the kind of fatedness to them. But even when things that get in the way are like pretty fundamental. But each scene is just an absolute joy to watch. Like the comic beats and the character beats come together. And it's just it's just a delight. I love all the kind of the, the signs and things. I, I love the way that the hospital looks like a pub as well. You know, when they he, they go to a hospital in the end and she walks through this kind of wooden door and it's like, this looks like just another one of the bars that they're going into. Is there, very... is there a bar in the hospital? <laughs> Probably. People <laughs> would like going to hospitals a lot more if they had a bar. But no, I, I, I concur. This was this is a, a delightful film. I mean, I, I would say just a, a quick a quick kind of coda because ha- Hannah mentioned before that she'd be she'd like to see Todd Haynes win the palm I mean I, I would love for this film to win the palm actually I mean I think there are other films probably individual films more deserving maybe zone of interest but like as a kind of culmination of of a of, of this of this kind of huge career where he's been kind of why do you hate Todd Haynes David oh I, to, to, <laughs> I, I think Todd's great as well I think uh, the reason with with for, for Todd though I think there's other, I think he could He's gonna. He's definitely gonna win something. <laughs> I, I mean, think, yeah, I would be happy for that to win screenplay. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I would. I would love that to happen for for Aki. He's a charming, charming fellow. Yeah. One other thing about this film that I find quite interesting is I interviewed him for for his previous film, The Other Side of Hope, and it was ten o'clock in the morning, and he was like visibly drunk. Nice. And um, I have a lot of respect for him. And uh, I feel that this film, could, you know, might even be a sort of slightly confessional side to it of the character who is kind of like tormented by his alcoholic demons and having to kind of he's he's sort of realizing that alcohol is kind of drag you know his sort of drinking is dragging him down in all these various ways this tees up just an example of how incredibly dense and yet poetic the dialogue is so the, this guy who's drinking goes to her house for a date and she sees him go to the hallway and have a swig and the kind of camera goes to her face and she's just staring and she says, like, I like you, but I won't date a drunk. And he says, and I won't take orders. And summarily, robotically takes his coat and leaves. And these are how all the scenes play out, just the most kind of economical dialogue. And yet they match each other in that respect. So it's 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 almost like a song that they're singing together. Totally, totally, totally. And I know Charles Charles is going to run off after this podcast and see it. So hopefully I'm, I'm we have... I'm quite excited. You've both sold me on it amply. Okay, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to hate it now. <laughs> no, I think you'll like it. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Hannah, your second one is another one from the, the director's fortnight. Yeah, and kind of a romance of a, of a sort. I have chosen Joanna Arno's The Feeling That the Time for Doing Something Has Passed, which the title has been giving a lot of uh, grief to uh, friends and colleagues of mine and that no one can remember how I to say it, cannot. apart from me. But yeah, so this is a first First fiction, feature. F- first feature, um, but she, uh, Joanna's had a, quite a meteoric rise in short filmmaking, I believe, and she had a auto-fiction do- documentary called I Hate Myself, which, which has been highly recommended to me and yeah this film is about a young woman in her 30s called Anne who works a very kind of (laughs) um we never really understand fully what she does it's kind of a low-level corporate job that is made purposefully confusing to the audience and she lives in New York and has this kind of long-standing BDSM relationship with this guy Alan who kind of has no real respect for her as a person and she's shown to kind of have quite low self-esteem and be quite resigned to this stagnation I guess of her life and so we have this kind of like setup of different chapters where she's meeting these different men and kind of pursuing different types of relationships whether that's um, BDSM or kind of just dating and the thing that I really enjoyed is just how funny this film is it's very deadpan and it has this very stilted style of like dialogue which I thought was quite novel and somehow still very true to the way people talk to each other despite its kind of stylized elements and anyways so late in the film maybe halfway through she meets this really sweet guy called Chris played by uh, Babak Tafti and he is kind of just this breath of fresh air who is just so lovely to her and I think she's kind of almost disarmed by this doesn't really know what to do with it but he yeah he thinks she's great and it's just so I found a really kind of nuanced take on a community that is often kind of maligned or like treated quite poorly in um, fiction which is the BDSM community and you can really tell that uh, Joanna has like put a lot of herself into this I mean 
physically she is the lead actress but also she wrote directed and i believe edited this film so she's a real multi-hyphenate and yeah i just think it's such a breath of fresh air and exactly what director's fortnight is for really in terms of discovery and charles is sitting sitting looking at me like and and so um Charles and his lovely fiance Maddie are in this film. You can catch them in a kind of brief, <laughs> a brief sequence at a party. A um, star-making appearance, I think. It's it's a wonderful head turn that Charles does. We've we've all we've all <laughs> spoken. Head-turner. We've all spoken a what, great what length was the, about this. I haven't seen this film, but what was the state of Charles's hair in? Because it's gone through its various lengths. This was, yeah, this was post the big haircut, not my metalhead phase. Okay. Uh, I, had, I had respectable human hair. Okay. Okay. And there was an elegance to you, Charles. Thank you. I, I haven't seen this film, but the way you describe it, I mean, maybe I'm completely off off course here, but it's it's it sounds a little bit kind of Lena Dunham, but 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 sort of pushing pushing that world a bit further yeah and not quite as self-absorbed i don't think as lena dunham um i think it's just very kind of low-key and there's a lot of very funny stuff with her parents who i believe that her dad is playing her dad i'm not sure about if it's her mum playing her mum, but um she goes on this holiday with them to a cabin and they spend the whole time kind of arguing about spending time together despite the fact they are spending time together and she's trying to read her book and her dad's just sitting there like singing this like union protest song <laughs> while she's trying to read her book and it's just uh, yeah I, I think it captures the kind of passive ag- aggressive element of parent-child relationships uh very well and yeah I think she's just such an unselfconscious screen presence um but but yeah the character I would describe as very self-conscious it's weird like she puts you know I think that she has put so much of herself out there with this film and I can't wait to kind of see her talk about it and see about kind of how her own life has inspired it because I know from like her past work she's very kind of like into the autofiction thing but you don't want to kind of presume to know well, in the like... Q&A that we witnessed she did say that she she had taken a lot of scenes verbatim mm. or, or pushed slightly mm. yeah from her life yeah so yeah I, I think it's exactly the kind of like um, thing the director's fortnight is for in terms of like discovery and championing these new voices coming through and yeah I really really liked it really enjoyed it and Charles is available for future projects <laughs> please contact me do not yet have representation. Lies. Oh, yeah. you're my representation no I'm your representation oh so, this is news to me yeah so breaking news I'm Charles' <laughs> agent okay you may go through the two white lies to contact me regarding Charles's future opportunities I'll work for scale Next up, another biggie I'm going to talk about for a little bit. It's a film called Asteroid City by the filmmaker Wes Anderson. I think we'll we'll try and maybe tiptoe around some of the elements of it because I think what my, my experience of seeing it was was one of of surprise as much as it was joy. I think to note that the trailer that many people will will have already seen, in which which depicts this world of mid twentieth century sort of south southwestern state desert location, in which this group of characters kind of meet together across a few days to attend a junior stargazer festival which involves the uh, awarding of prizes to a junior stargazer convention junior stargazer convention indeed. we must be precise as wet is precise indeed and then and they are, are there for, for for a kind of prize giving for, for a series of inventions they produced and there is also a eclipse type event 
that people are gathered for to to view. In a kind of similar way to Grand Budapest Hotel, which is framed as a a novel about someone recounting their, their early life, this too has a kind of similar framing device that gives the, this sort of central story like a very different f- feel to it. It's very much a story in quote marks. And what, what he w- wants to do with this film is he, he wants you to enjoy it on this superficial level in that it's fun and it's emotional and he's 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 whipping up this narrative and these characters and these situations that that i found you know very like very engaging and funny and and you know there's there is the kind of melancholy and tragicomic element to it all as well but then he's he's sort of ratcheting things up even further by having this other layer that, that that kind of muddies all the kind of the moral and emotion emotional elements of the film and actually kind of i think enhances them in a way because it's it's sort of he he's pinpointing a huge like a, a very kind of human element to 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 how the, how this and all his films play play out i think in in many ways the film comes across as 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 maybe as a, a little kind of rejoinder to to anyone who maybe sees his films and finds them maybe too distant or detached or mannered just on a kind of scene for scene level it feels like the film that where the formula he has he has kind of tweaked his formula to like this this place of complete immaculate perfection where there's just it's just it's a dazzling thing to watch it just it just it's sort of like wind blowing in your in your face Uh, i'm seeing the film this evening and i'm curious is this is a very technically involved film yeah i would say yeah on a stru- on a structural level, he built this whole little town out in Spain. Yeah, he built the whole little town out in Spain. But then you have this, as I said, this other framing layer as well. And yeah, it's it it's maybe a little bit lower key than in terms of like different sets and different places and than than the French Dispatch or or or, um, or Isle of Dogs. But I think it's a, like conceptually maybe a bigger a bigger film. Right. Um, I mean you. Sophie, Hannah, you guys both seen it as well. Do you have any uh, any comments you'd like to pass? I will say that I think there's been a lot of kind of memes about the scale of the cast in this one because I think it is one of his like he always has big casts, but I think a lot of people are like who isn't in Asteroid City? It's a, it's a very big name cast. We've got Tom Hanks making his first appearance in a Wes Anderson film, and uh, I think. Uh, Steve Carell and Margot Robbie are also kind of newcomers to the company uh, but then we have you know people like Jason Schwartzman who kind of plays the certainly the biggest role in the film um, who, and who has been with Wes since perhaps the beginning and I think it's maybe one of the best examples of everyone in the Wes movie kind of playing their part to the kind of pitched at like just the right level you know there's no wasted kind of movement in this film everyone is you know they come and they do that little bit and you're like oh that was absolutely delightful that was just the right little you know little sprinkling of this person in the film I don't want to say too much because like we're going to do so much more on this I imagine because it's a worse film but um yeah I just um I thoroughly enjoyed it Jake Ryan who I was a big fan of in eighth grade and I believe actually was in Moonrise Kingdom as well even though he's like 20 so crazy to me to imagine doing that two Westfields by the time it's funny but he plays Jason Schwartzman's son Woodrow who is one of the junior stargazers and he's very funny and kind of seems to just like implicitly understand like the tone and cadence of how you should act in a Wes Anderson movie and yeah it's it's very fun as I think all of West films are but also just very touching and shows this kind of real like reverence for like the craft of cinema as well and the craft of storytelling and 
yeah, I just think it's a very, a very beautiful film with um, some incredible little like details. Which I, I read the press notes for this film, and was like kind of like reading bits out to be, anyone that would listen because I find it so fascinating to learn how he made this world. In, in a way, even though they're very different types of film, I feel like he and Jonathan Glazer are similar in the sense that every single little aspect of it has been thought of and conceived and fine tuned, and that pays off in a deeply felt world experience and I think his, this is his most emotionally naked film on several counts not least the fact that Jason Schwartzman is, is is in grief but also in the fact of he is as interested in storytellers as the stories themselves and he is a storyteller and in a way I feel like he's he's, he's telling telling us about himself that's that's not that's not you know that's not like an easter egg that's just that's just there that's that's just text so I also think it's a, it's a rejoinder to anyone who just is like, oh no, Wes Anderson films, they're all like contrived. And no, like the, the, these contrivances are the way he's open with us. This is, this, this I feel is like, yeah, just, just a very, like, I think it's very emotional for, for all the kind of delightful details and jokes and deadpan humour and playfulness. Yeah, that's just part of Wes Anderson being open. So I think it's very, very emotionally engaging film and also shout out to Steve Carell every moment he was on screen was the best moment of my life there's also just one detail in this film that like blew my mind is that there's like a martini like automated martini machine like where they put you know you put in money and it makes a, a vending martini. machine a, a martini vending machine sorry that's what I was looking for the impossible dream <laughs> what a concept what like, a I concept. was just like this is incredible we need to get on this we need our top people on this straight um, away this is uh, pertinent I guess more to the talk of a half hour ago but I've just received some rather distressing breaking news Netflix has purchased May December <laughs> Well, not for the UK. I suppose not, yeah. This, cinema this, is, this, the is, UK, this is an American equally, issue. This is an American issue. I mean, I don't know. At least it'll get a good awards campaign. Yeah. <laughs> I think people so. will watch it. Yeah. 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 You know. It was... it. The, the people who to whom it will smuggle in additional layers, it will smuggle in additional layers. The people to whom will simply watch it and boost its numbers, well, hey, that will happen. You're all taking this much better than I am. Why are you upset, Charles? It won't be seen in theatres by people. It won't be available in the future to be played in theatres. They're very stingy with repertory rights. They're, uh, I, I, I don't trust the big red N. No. I hadn't thought about it in that respect. Well, hopefully it'll get a criterion in that weird, like, and they're dealing Criterion that's what's deal they do yeah <laughs> okay we'll, well let, let's round things off I, we've kind of talk and, talked about this a bit so far actually but let's just just let's just put it set, set it in stone the the awards that will be happening after this pod, you'll, you'll be hearing this podcast but from what we've seen so far it doesn't necessarily have to be the palm but is there maybe like one award that you'd maybe like to see happen I think uh, Sandra Huller for Best Actress, Anatomy of a Fall. I think it's that's a three-course meal and she's dishing it right up. Yes, that's a good one. Something about the zone of interest that makes it feel to me irrelevant whether it gets awards or not because this mm. is one for the, this is for history. But yeah, so I'm actually with you, James. I would I would really like Aki Karismaki to get, if not Best Director, then, then The Palm. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Trying to think of other things that from the competition that that because it's actually been like one thing to note it's just been a very strong competition. Oh, well, actually, this is a more interesting thing for me to say because this was a, this is a great film that I've not mentioned, but I have reviewed for IndieWire if anyone wants to read more about it. Banal and Adama, it's a it's a Senegalese film set in a, a small Senegalese village where two young people's love is being blamed for the droughts, and it's gorgeously shot. It's beautiful. But it's also stranger than it might 
initially seem and you saw this as well David yeah, so yeah. I, I'd like maybe uh, yeah like maybe um, yeah maybe best best director there I, I wouldn't mind that either I wouldn't be surprised if she gets like a, at the very least a kind of jury prize or you know something like that to sort of acknowledge up and coming talent yeah yeah because it's it's a real it's a really it's her first film and it's 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 very bold and inviting yeah we've got a good review of that by caitlin quinlan on the website as well loads more coverage on the website i will say um other than maybe December, i would like to see um messy the dog from anatomy of the fall who plays snoop get the pond dog that's spoken like someone who hasn't seen fallen leaves well, if the dog isn't eating vomit, then like... Well, okay. <laughs> Let the dogs eat vomit if they want to. <laughs> the dog goes on a poignant journey. I can't believe there's been that many films here where dogs eat vomit. It's... We were talking about this earlier. It's the big it's theme of, this, of 2023. There's only been two films. That's too many. I agree. <laughs> I do agree. There's a nice dog in the Animal Kingdom. Yes, yeah, he doesn't eat vomit. That's a nice thing about him. In, in the film, the Animal Kingdom, not not the scientific classification. I'm not going to answer that. I, I'm I'm asking. I'm asking you. Do you want to know? Okay. I have not seen this film. It's a great film. Okay. Well, on that note, I think it's time for us to round up and to say that we're going to be back to normal business next week. But yeah, do go on to lwlies.com to check out all our coverage. Next week, we return to normal with animated superhero sequel, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, alongside Tina Satter's film of an unassuming NSA whistleblower, Reality. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. This Truth and Movies Can special was hosted by me, David Jenkins, and my guests this week were Hannah Strong, Sophie Monks-Kaufman, and Charles Bromesco. The podcast is produced by TTO London and edited by Bob Stankers. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.